Welcome to People's Church Podcast. When it comes to uh, prove me now, we've been kind of hitting that theme for a couple of weeks. We're going to go after it today a little bit more, a little bit different. Um, you and I are very planned. We tend to go at life with shopping lists. We tend to go with filling our carts with pre-listed ideas and dreams and things that are all good and nothing wrong in the sense of what we want in many cases. The problem comes often though in that it's we just look to ourselves in this. And as Christians, there's a certain part of plans that have to be abdicated to God. That God has to be in charge of certain plans because God's plans are best, always are best. And we're going to be talking about the nation of Israel and their uh, walk through the desert a bit, but when they arrived at the promised land, it was all within this great plan of God to give their families and generations this great land where they could build great lives to the glory of God and he could put his blessing upon them as a nation and families and that they would just live in the very best design that life would hold for them because that's always what God wants. God's purposes for you are good. They always are good. And even when we, by our choices or life, by other people's choices, bring us hard and difficult things in life, God still purposes good things through the challenges of life. But there's a couple conditions that we want to look at today that are really important to you having God's best plans and proving the best plans. I'll give you a little historical context here. Is that Israel has been 40 years wandering in the wilderness. A whole new generation has come up, all these young men and women. And they are the new generation going to go into the promised land. They had been escaped 400 years of slavery in which the generations had been in. And they were ready to take on the best that God could bring and the best that God had promised. They came to the River Jordan and they passed the River Jordan as God did a remarkable miracle again and stopped the flow of the River Jordan. And they walked across on dry land. And when they got to the promised land, which was that for them, it was, it was meant for them. You've got a promised land in your life that God has for you. God has got things that are specifically and unique to his plans for you. When they crossed over, there was a couple of conditions that needed to be met. But you can imagine being in the first city, which was Jericho. It was a mighty city, a great fortress city, a huge wall, 30 feet tall, uh, about uh, just about as wide. To that. They say two chariots could race side by side along the uh, walls. So we're talking about like a great fortress and hard to overcome for that day's military capabilities. And they were coming to this great big city to take it. This was going to be their first conquer in this land. You would think that they would just be going from this amazing moment of passing through Jordan and going into immediate battle. Everybody likes to win. Everybody likes the victory. Everybody likes that. I don't know what happened to the Oilers the last two games, but... I noticed Brent wasn't on his game today a little bit, so it just kind of goes. Oilers win, he wins, da-da-da-da. I'm kidding, he did a great job today. When it, comes, when it comes to winning, you would think that you just jump on that momentum and that, that moment in time 
when they've had this amazing miracle and they just go right at it. Go scale those walls. Just go get it done. Draw the swords. Get out, get out the ladders. Let's get over this thing. Let's take this city. But they didn't. They went to a place, camped on the promised land side of Jordan, which was just simply called Gilgal, just like that, G-I-L-G-A-L. And they went to this place and there they camped. There was a couple of things that needed to be reinstituted into the nation and into the personal lives of the people so that God could bring his best. God's best always is going to be upon the conditions of your obedience. And we find that when they come in, they go to this place called Gilgal, and there's two things that, that have got to happen there. Now, let me just try and draw a little bit of a map. If this is the boundary of Israel, desert on this side, promised land on this side, Jericho's right here, dries up the Jordan River, they come over and they camp at a place right there. Not just for a little while, but for quite a long while. Because two things have to be restored. These two things God is serious about. He's saying, I brought you all this way. I have the best waiting for you. And I just want you to look after these two requirements. Two requirements. The first requirement was something that got set aside and it wasn't practiced in the entire wilderness journey. So for 40 years, they've not practiced this. And it's the act of circumcision. Now, without going into the graphic detail, I think we all have an idea what that's about. Circumcision was first instituted with Abraham, who is the father of faith and the father of the nation of Israel, along with the nations that come from Ishmael. So we've got this situation where it was the picture of the covenant. It was like, I am part of this Abrahamic covenant. I imparted this unique thing. And they hadn't done this all through the wilderness journey. So he says, I want you to pay attention to this. Now, circumcision is about separation. I am separated to obedience to the covenant of God. For the Christian, it talks about in the book of Colossians that you don't have a physical circumcision that's necessary for that. But it's a circumcision of the heart, a cutting away, a separation that takes place so that you know that in your heart, it's all about God first. It's that one position everybody owns in their life to give away or to hold on to. You know you're doing that every day. You're either giving it away or you're holding on to it. Well, God says, I want that part. And circumcision was the separation from the things that you would just pursue on your own. And so this was the first condition that God wanted brought back. Now let's just read one scripture from Joshua 5, 13 through 15. When Joshua was near Jericho, who is now in charge, Moses is gone. Joshua is now the general in charge. He looked up. He caught sight of a man standing in front of him with his sword drawn. Joshua went up and said to him, are you on our side or that of our enemies? And he said, neither. Take note of that. Neither. I'm the commander of the Lord's heavenly force. Now I have arrived. Now you and I, we break down life to that question. Joshua's question is a very human question. Are you on my side? Or are you on the other side? 
Who are you for? Who are you for? Are you for, are you for this, that my enemy over here? Or are you for me? This is how we break down our relational life and often how life just breaks down for who, who are you for? We want that clarified. And here we find the Lord saying, neither. It's not about me being on your side in this fight or on the other side in this fight. I'm not here to be conducted by your generalship. I'm not here where you keep number one place and you tell me how to serve you in this regards. I am here, and then he introduces who he is, as the commander of the Lord's forces or army. He's saying, I'm it. I mean, I'm it. You're here for my service, and if I'm gonna talk to you, you're gonna do my service. I'm not here for your win. You're here for my win. That's a hard thing in life to come to because we're making choices that play into that all of the time. See, when you even have a squabble in a marriage and it gets too deep, you know, you can break it down into, who's on my side on this? Are you on my side or are you for the other? And we begin to think in these terms and they get entrenched within us. And the Lord is saying, neither. I want you to be here for my win. What is my win in this situation? What do I want in this conflict? What do I want to achieve here? That is really important because that is the source of obedience in life. Are we working for his wins? Or is our life break down? Are you for me or are you for my enemy? It's really easy for life to break down that way. In fact, it does. The kingdom of God has been said it's an upside down kingdom. Well, it's not really. It's the right side up kingdom. And you and I are living in a human kingdom that is upside down. And he wants to right side it. And that's what the cross is all about. That we have a kingdom where we serve actually him. We are his servants. In this particular story, it continues in this talk between the Lord and Joshua. He says, neither I'm the commander of the Lord's heavenly force. Now I have arrived. Then Joshua fell flat on his face in worship. That's why we know this wasn't an angel. Remember when Mary had her angelic visit? And you remember when Joseph had it? You remember? They all wanted to bow and worship. I said, don't. Get up. What are you doing? I'm just the messenger. This is the Lord. This is the same Lord that comes and is born amongst us in flesh. And then he will pay his, for our sins on the cross and he will resurrect again. This is the Lord. And that's why he bows down and he worships. And Joshua said, what is my master saying to his servant? All of a sudden, his whole philosophy of life just changed. Do you see that between the contrast from the first part of the verse and then the later? It's not him saying, are you on my side or are you with the enemy? Now he's saying, what does the master want to say to me as servant? That's the beginning of obedience. And in this case, he had required that they have the circumcision first. This takes place after they have fulfilled the two requirements that we are talking about today. First, circumcision. So they have to do the nasty job of taking uh, boys and men 
that have come through the wilderness and not been circumcised, and they all have to go under the knife, and they've gone through that bloody work, that's what they call it literally, and gone through that bloody work of fulfilling in their flesh the identification, the commitment to, the covenant of Abraham. They're making that same switch. It's not me that's here, you know, to decide, are you on my side? You know, Christian, it's too easy to fall into this. It's too easy to fall into this in this world. Are you on my side? Or are you on the other side? We do that and and we do it wrong. We can do that politically wrongly, wrongly. We can do that with sports or hobbies. We can do that, we can do that with just personality, a likeness, what we like. We have this way of making sure things around us will serve our interests. You gotta be very careful how you serve your own interests. In fact, I would say, really, Get the foundation right. There's one place you give away every day or you don't give away, and that's first place. And that's gonna be where his interests come first. That's where you become the servant of God. And so Joshua said, what is my master saying to his servant? The commander of the Lord's heavenly force said to Joshua, take your sandals off your feet because the place where you are standing is holy. So Joshua did this. The first thing he tells them before giving them a plan about how to take on Jericho, before revealing the heavenly plan for taking Jericho down, get on your feet, take off your sandals. That was that getting it right at the core. The master. Is your life proving a philosophy that's based on You know, are you on my team or are you on the other team? Well, we get along if you're on my team. But we don't get along if you're not on my team. You work for the enemy. You live by my enemy. You like my enemy. This is not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God doesn't work that way. It first establishes the true master. So Joshua does, takes off his sandals, he falls on his feet before the Lord, and then the Lord begins to give him the plan. You and I want God's best plan, but we want to do it standing on our feet with our sandals on, determining whether he's on our side or the other. That's your risk. It's daily decisions too, you know? It's not like I get this right once and... Like it just, it's gonna be daily that you're making decisions about this in your life. Now, when it came to circumcision, this was, you, needed to, you need to separate yourself from some things in your life. Let me give you three things here. Daily separations, daily. Notice the word daily. Daily separations from, number one, self-indulgence. Self-indulgence. Self-indulgence is something that, where, again, I'm checking out how this serves me. This is what I want. I will indulge myself. You must be a part of that same party. And if you're part of the same party celebrating what I want and doing what I want and a part of this, well, then great. Do you know how many times I've prepared a message and the thoughts that come through my head say, oh, they're not going to like that one. 
ooh, they won't like that part. Because we tend to break down very selectively. And yet God doesn't work this way. God works off, uh, off of unchanging holiness and his own presence, and he works off of unchanging truth. So self-indulgence is something that we can easily fall in. The whole world is caught up with self-indulgence. Sometimes we just happen to put a really good mask on it. And when we put a good mask on it, and we're polite about it, and we smile through it, but we're still being self-indulgent. We're still maybe being manipulative or controlling. See, these are matters of the heart. And, and Chris, I want your life to be truly blessed. I want you to really walk in God's best plans for every part of your life. Don't, don't, don't settle for plans that are not his. Your plans will always come up short. And when self-indulgence controls you, your planning in life, how you're going to carry out your shopping list, your cart's full of a whole lot different things than maybe what God wants in it. Strong people discipline their desires, not canceling them, disciplining them. Because most cases, the desires are not wrong. It is that they are undisciplined. And what we mean by undisciplined is they're just self-indulgent. They lead the charge in our life. They, they, they control the plans of fulfillment. They control how we go about life. This is a weak person. When your indulgences are controlling your planning and your execution of plans and your energies towards self-indulgence. Discipline, on the other hand, is something that's really interesting. Discipline doesn't do away with the desire. Discipline comes around the desire and keeps the things, we think it, we think it restricts us. No, no. Discipline is not so much a restriction of what is good. Discipline keeps out that which would pervert you. Discipline protects you from that which would spoil the good desire in your heart. So for instance, let me take something very graphic in that regards, sexuality. Sexuality, we can't say is a wrong desire, stamp it out of your life. That is not, that is not biblical, it's not good to take any stance like that. Discipline though, when we apply it to sexuality, means that if we take bib biblical discipline, and we apply it, that's intended to keep the things which will ruin it, which will bring great pain in it. It's keeping those additions out. It's keeping you from perverting it with your own plans and letting all of your planning energies and execution energies be eaten up by the wrong practices. And it brings destruction into your life. So discipline, we think of it so much as, you know, making sure we're doing the right thing. But really, it's about keeping all of the wrong stuff from perverting and hurting and, and causing a lot of damage. It keeps the bad stuff out. You know, when you put leftovers in the fridge, you wrap it in something or you put it in something. Why do you do that? You're keeping the bad stuff out. It's not about keeping the good stuff in. I'm really getting kitchen into this whole thing. Like it's been interesting. It's like a crash course in rocket science. You know, it's like it's, it's been...
quite a learning curve. So I, I'm not supposed to put things in the fridge without putting them in the right things. I got it, honey. It's keeping the bad out. It's not doing away with the good. It's preserving. It's holding it. For it's intended. A thing that will bring fullness again. Discipline keeps the wrong stuff out. Second thing you need to daily separate from is bitterness. This is something that's going to come your way. There's, there's all different kinds of bitterness, by the way. There's a bitterness, there's a bitterness obviously, of, of when relationships go wrong and your friendships or people hurt you. But there's also bitternesses of loss when you go through loss in things. There's a bitterness of that kind of hard water. You know, to drink, it's bitter, it's bitter. There's bitternesses that are going to come your way when, you're, when your things aren't working out in the timelines or the way that you want them uh, to work out. Bitterness comes into our life in many different ways. It, it, it's not just one way. You can't think of it just as a relational deal. It is also affecting every other part of your life simply because you're experiencing bitterness. How many experience bitterness driving around Grand Prairie? How many here are in retail? Be proud, raise your hands. How many are in retail? Okay, you in retail. <clears throat> How do you love the customers of Grand Prairie on some days? Yeah. <laughs> Bitterness can come in in so many different ways. Why? Because things don't actually hit the expectations and so you don't live in a perfectly constructed relationship or world. You don't live in something that is exercised according to how you would play it out because you see, that's going back to that philosophy of saying, are you on my side or are you on the other? Bitterness is something that has to be dealt with on a daily basis. You must deal with it. How do you do that? Strong people restrain their reactions. You use restraint. You must know that the first reactions that you're going to have to getting cut off in traffic is not the best and wholesome reaction that you want to keep. Would you agree with that? The best reaction is not to let fly in some kind of argument when something comes up and just to let it go. That's not going to give you the best outcome. The best reactions or where you restrain them. Some people uh, just kind of view their, I think their whole life is, I, you hurt me, I'm processing all that hurt right now, you're gonna get back more so that you don't do that again. Restrain reactions. What is restraint? Restraint doesn't say you're not having feelings about it. Restraint is not saying boy, this really hurts. Restraint is not saying, wow, this is extremely frustrating. Restraint is not saying those things. Restraint is putting reins around the emotionally charged responses, emotions being in the lead. Restraint means that emotions, you're there, but you're not taking the lead. You're, you hold them back. You don't, you don't deny them. You don't have to deny them. In fact, don't. You know, some people think just pure emotion should be just purely expressed. Oh my gosh, I don't want to be on the road anywhere near you. 
Emotions require restraint so that the parts of you that function through thinking can lead. Restrain emotion, don't deny it, so that it doesn't take the lead. So put reins on it. You must restrain, you must restrain your reaction because your first reactions will not be great. And some of you say, well, I'm not, you know, I don't, I don't get angry. Um, that right there is not restraint. That there is denial. That there is something, you got a, a whole different problem, in fact, deeper problem. Um, because you can't deal with what you won't admit. But when it comes to restraint, when people are honest and saying, wow, I am feeling this right now, but they put restraint on it, that's strength. That takes strength to say, it's not first. I'm not denying it, but I am not gonna let it take charge here. So restrain your reactions. Third thing you're gonna have to deal with daily in a circumcision kind of way is carelessness. Carelessness. Uh, carelessness is exactly, means exactly what it, it basically sounds like. You, you care less. It's just carelessness. It's, you're, you're not in touch with what your actions are, your words are, and you're just careless. It doesn't matter. You've not thought through maybe the response. You've not thought through that. You're going to tell the truth, but you're going to tell it with a, with a great deep love and compassion for the other person. No, it's never gotten to those levels. Carelessness. Carelessness by making bad choices. When you know you're going down a certain road, and you know you are. You know that I'm moving too far away in this marriage in this way. I'm moving too far away from my values of honesty in this direction. I'm taking steps that are right on the fringe. This isn't good. That's carelessness. And carelessness is something that you must have circumcised from your life. It must be something that you're saying uh, no to. You're going to separate yourself from that carelessness. Strong people keep their commitments. Because they deal with carelessness. When they see that starting to happen, boy, why did I watch that? Why did I, why, 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 why did I go that way with my kid just now? Why am I, these are good questions. Carelessness is something that I see happening a lot in our time with Christians because there's so much to be careless about. Just simple as that. But it will work against keeping your commitments. Number one, your commitment to your God. And then commitment to the people in your life and how you want to live out your life. You must keep your commitments. Carelessness is something you're going to have to daily separate from. So you got to daily separate from self-indulgent, bitterness, and carelessness. Now, then there's this daily dependence you got to have. This is the second requirement. The first was circumcision. But there had been something else that they had not done since they were at the foot of the mountain where Moses received the law. So really early into the desert wanderings. So they haven't had, had this practice going for many, many decades. And so that, that practice was simply uh, the Passover. To celebrate the Passover. 
Now to celebrate the Passover in the Jewish context was you take a lamb and you prepare a lamb and you, you literally take the blood and do what they did, you know, and then you cook the lamb with bitter herbs. You're supposed to eat it with bitter herbs. And this is all a picture of Christ. That lamb, that sacrificial lamb with the Passover is meant to mean a temporary uh, God kind of reprieving sin for a temporary season. More or less, it's getting stored up, but it's being put on the shelf for now. And that's what that sacrificial lamb was about. And then Jesus, the perfect lamb comes and he pays for everything that was on the shelf and everything's still happening and everything's still to come. So they haven't practiced Passover. Now, what is practice of the Passover about? Well, in this verse that we read, it's really a daily dependence on the commander of the Lord's heavenly force. You're not gonna live in the power of your own strength. Joshua was out looking towards Jericho, the battle that was coming up, the first one. It's a, it's a must win. They gotta win this one. And I know in his military mind, he's gonna be looking at the walls. He's looking at, well, we could breach it this way. This is gonna cost us this much if we go that way. We've got that option there. We can take a long route. We can take a quick route. We can go at this with Everybody, or we can just kind of needle away for a long period of time. All through his head is going to be going the different basis of strategies. But no, when he's out looking, where and how am I going to do that? He meets, he meets the commander. They had Passover. They did circumcision. And now they are ready for God's plan. Passover is eating the lamb, feeding off the lamb. Christian, for you to have victory in your life and to carry out the plans of God, you've got to feed off of Jesus. If you don't feed on Jesus, do not expect to be able to carry out the victories of Jesus in your family, in your business, in anything in your life that you want to spread it to. You need to be feeding on Jesus. That means that you are living in grace. You're living in this foundation of power that's not your own. You recognize the power of prayer. You recognize the power of a separated life from the things that would marginalize you. And you take seriously his teachings and take seriously the things that you know to be true. And you're feeding off of him. In doing that, now you can have the strength to carry out the plans. So they have done that. Now they're going to get the plans. And now the commander, he says, I have now arrived. Has Jesus really arrived on your battlefield? Or are you still looking about which strategy to take at those economics? Or which strategy to take at the, your family issue? Or what strategy you're going to take at the business challenge? What strategy are you going to take about the relational things that you might be experiencing in your life? What strategy are you going to take? There's only one plan that will be his. A good question for us is an, is an inventory question, which is how often really in my life, let's say even in just the last year or two, have I really 
taken and made, and made sure I was working in his plan, that I had his plan? Or do I go and I work and I work and I try to make it happen and I do everything I think I should do and I'm looking and I try again and then I try again. But he's saying, whoa, you're in a rush. I'm not. I want you to sit at Gilgal for a little while because there's some things in your life that right now, they're not aligned in obedience. And for us to really take on Jericho and win this fight in your family or your economics, or these, for us to really do this, for me to give you the plan, I need you to just separate yourself from this kind of stuff. I want you to sit in Galgal because there you're going to learn again how to feed off of the lamb. You haven't done that in a long time, like 40 years. You haven't done that. You've not made daily feeding on the, off the lamb, Jesus. That which would be the energy and the power by which you will approach the challenges and where you want victories in your life. So God say, I want you to prove my plans that they are the best. But you must prepare for my plans by these two practices. And then I will give you the plan. You know, when we are winding out our plans and we find our energies going down and things aren't changing the way that we really want them to, we're more than likely still doing what Joshua was doing at the beginning of this whole conversation. Who's on my team? Are you? Or are you on the other guys? And he's saying neither. I'm my own team. That's not the question. Are you on mine? Then he can give you the plans. So just as we wind this up, where you have these kinds of challenges in life, where you are faced with things that, boy, these are severe battles. And I really want victory. I want to win. You have the right desires. You have the right desires. The right desires are not enough. The right positioning and daily obediences are the things needed. The right feeding are the things needed. And as strength emerges out of those things, you now will be able to do what God told them to do. And that is put him in charge. Get on your face. Take off your sandals. Now here's the plan, Joshua. And then he gives them this plan. It didn't sound like a much of a military plan. Didn't seem to be in touch with the realities of the moment because all of God's plans are going to require faith from you. So he tells them, I want you to get up early in the morning, take your army, the people, I want you to walk around the city one time, go back home. I want you to do that for six days. Seventh day, get up, do it seven times. Blow a ram's horn. Have the people shout, the priests and all that. All the people will shout. Walls are going to come down. I mean, who comes up with that as a military plan? Jesus. Be born as a baby, 
Come amongst us, live, put up with us. Touch us, heal us, get frustrated with us, discipline us, go to the cross, die. What kind of plan is that? The only one that would work. The best plan. Be raised from the dead. And after paving the way, give the invitation. Anybody that wants to come can now come. You are proving either your own abilities, your own plans, your own energies, your own strengths. We are. Or we are proving that his plans are best and that our lives can hear them and carry them out because we're paying attention to the daily things that we must separate from and we don't let them get a grip when they are pushing so hard. And we are really depending on the strength and energy of the Lamb which gave himself for us. And so we position ourselves, not as, hey Jesus, you on my team in this? Instead saying, in this struggle right now, am I on Jesus' team or I'm out there playing the game of trying to get people on my team and find out who's not? And Would you stand with me please? That began a huge journey for Israel in taking God's best. Each of those men and women that fought for this land that God had promised got to raise their next generation in their land. They had to fight for it. As a Christian, fight smart. Fight with the right plan because it's his and it's best. And that might mean you, and I know it will mean you actually humbling yourself. This is the fundamental to having God's best plans in your life is the humbleness that you bring. So I don't know what you're facing or where you uh, are in battle. But you've probably been fighting a lot on your own right now. And almost like in the sense of Joshua, looking at it, are you on my team or the other? But I would suggest to you to make a quick flip on this as Joshua did. It showed his heart. Oh, what an amazing man. He immediately just says, what does my master have to say to his servant? That would be a great prayer today. That's a humble heart. That's a strong lean in. And he might say, I want you to return to Gilgal until we get some things sorted. And then I want you to come and here I'm going to give you the plan. 
Father, as we bow our heads, we are so grateful that, Lord, you are so patient with us. Lord, we are here not to prove things about us. We are here to prove you. And that means proving your plans are the best. And we prove that by not generating all of the plans and the energy out of ourselves. But praying prayers and taking positions where it's master, what do you have to say to your servant? What do you have to say to your servant who is the husband, the wife? What do you have to say to the servant, Lord, who is just in this position of business? What do you have to say to the servant, Lord, that is going through the battles? What do you have to say? So, Father, I pray that our ears would be open like never before. I, I just pray that you get so attuned that in this day and age of much noise all around us, all the time, everything coming at us, a world of information and news and often lies, that we would be able to take their time and feed on you and separate ourselves from the things we know weaken us so that, Lord, we can be a servant to carry out the plans because in the end, you're the master. We're not here to use you. So, Jesus, in the humble hearts that are here today, I pray there just be an encouragement and a release as we look to you full-on expecting that the master has great plans despite the struggle. If you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that's the beginning of the life I've talked about today. And with your head bowed and every eye closed, just between you and God, as much as you can understand it today, a prayer that just says, Something like this, in the quietness of your own heart, I have been my own master. It's not working out. It tires me out. I want to receive you as my Lord my Savior from my sins. Forgive me for my many sins. And I want to receive you as my master. Father, bless this congregation. Make it strong. May this be a congregation, Lord, where we look to what does the master say. And may we be people that do that for our families and for ourselves. And may we be great channels of great things into the world simply because we are following the plans of the Master, not dividing this world in, are you for me or are you against me? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 
Thanks for listening. If you find this program helpful or would like to learn more, please give us a call 780-539-0572 or email mail at peopleschurchgp.com.